This is an ABC podcast. G'day, I'm Maddie Hayden. Welcome to Dishy. One guest, three dishes and the stories behind them. Here I get to talk to a real life legends about food. We're coming to the end of the season. I've got to say that every guest has been simply incredible. But when it comes to food and Aussie food in particular, I don't think you can get any more iconic than my guest today. She's a beloved cook, author, TV presenter and restaurateur who turned a small pheasant farm in the Barossa Valley into a food empire. Throughout her career, she's run an award-winning restaurant, written 10 best-selling cookbooks, starred in ABC's The Cook and Chef, appeared as a judge on The Great Australian Bake Off, and all while running her own gourmet food company. She isn't just a household name, not indeed. Her name is probably sitting in your cupboards right now. Maggie Beer, it's an absolute honour to have you on the show and thanks for joining us on Dishy. Oh, wow. What a build-up, Matt. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, you you justifiably, though, are a superstar in the industry. I think you're everybody's mum, Maggie. I think you and Stephanie Alexander. Oh, grandma. Uh, well, I'm 50, so no. Oh, <laughs> you're my mum. Okay. I'd like to think of you that way anyway. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. <laughs> You've just had such an amazing um journey through through food i mean it's um even just recently your instagram following is huge and you haven't covid just hasn't stopped you at all has it no in fact covid's been an interesting time because i decided i decided to do these videos from home while people were locked down in mm. a very homespun way there was just mm. chris linky my assistant that turns her hand to everything and myself. And the idea was just to do things that were so easy that came from what people would have in their cupboard or their fridge or their garden. Mm. Uh, and I couldn't believe how it resonated. Um, <laughs> it just um, it just took off like a like a you know a, a, a rocket going to space. Mm. So um, but it was really, I wanted to do it. I wanted to do it because people had been so kind to me and it was it was a really good focus for me and um, it, it just gave me such pleasure knowing that people were listening and doing. You know, it wasn't an entertainment factor. It was a how can, how can we encourage people, just giving them really easy, simple ideas and get them in the kitchen and that's what happened. Easy and simple are words of of people that know what they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> and they're two different words, by the way. You know, they're not – I'm not running them together. Yeah. Um, um, easy to to give people encouragement, but simple mm. in terms of not complicated in flavours um, or, or design. Yeah. Yeah, lovely description. Is there an advantage in being self-taught? Because the way that you explain – like I was just looking before on Instagram – uh, and I'm not a you know, you, look. I, I get on Instagram and and I enjoy the space every now and again. But it's probably one percent of what I do in, in my day. But when you were doing your basic tomato and bread salad, there was so many layers of knowledge there that were just resonating through what you're saying. From resting the tomatoes after salt, so you get all the the juices out of them. To to you know testing the pans and and you know before you put the <laughs> 
the bread in, you know, just those simple little tips and tricks that suggest to me that you just can't teach this stuff. It's just trial by error and you explain it so beautifully. Well, it's interesting you asked that question. It has been, um, I think there has been an advantage for me being self-taught because I've not been given a rule that I am breaking. I don't know the rules, so I don't know what I'm breaking. I mm. just use instinct. But one of the things I found um, that some days I, I really had to focus because I was in my kitchen, my happy place, doing what I love, but I wanted to give every little bit of information that makes a difference. <laughs> and um, mm. so if you've got that, I'm really happy. Within your own background, growing up in, in Western Sydney as, you know, a young <laughs> girl, is, was there a, a point in time where you just, or, or, or even just a meal that expressed some of these values that just ooze out of you when you're presenting food? Well, when I think about it, I'm, I realise I was very lucky being brought up in a household where food was so important. And it was my dad who was the driver of that. <laughs> Mind you, my mum did most of the work, um, mm. but dad was the engineer, you might say, about what had to happen. <laughs> work in the kitchen or just work in general? No, work well, in the kitchen. <laughs> right. So so mum would be peeling the potatoes and dad would be looking at the recipe Giving sheets. instructions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, giving instructions. <laughs> and I guess um, the, the really outstanding things that I think mm. of is I, I can't give you one meal. I've got to give you a type of meal, and that mm. is offal. Offal was my dad's favourite, my favourite, and it was the use of every bit of an animal. Like um, mm. he, he and mum, but dad directing, as I said, and, and cooking too, would make brawn every um, mm. every Christmas, actually, the two crispers fall in the bottom of our fridge. You know the old fridge, Kelvinator fridge, um, that had two crispers side by side and they still mm. have much the same design but mm. they were very deep and we and Dad would make this brawn and it had every bit of every, you know, the pig's ears, the pig's snout. It had um, <laughs> just... It it was utilizing everything and mm. and brains and liver mm. and heart and um, mm. in fact chicken livers were the first thing I ever cooked. Um, mm. How and old I was, was about, that? What age? I was about seven or eight. Um, <laughs> I, I might have yeah seven or eight, and I remember mm. pan frying them. And, of course, I'm such a picker when I cook. I really am really, really bad. And uh, I remember my dad saying to me, hey, leave some for the rest of us. <laughs> that was my first ever. And so it was the use of that and produce and the fact that he was way ahead of his time in that um, – they lost their business in 1959. Um, uh, they were manufacturers of kitchen equipment and the credit squeeze and all of that. But mm. eventually, when they were strong enough, they went 
cooking at RSL clubs and leagues clubs um, because that was the only way a mature person could get a job um, and they just used their their love of food. And the reason I mention that is my dad used to age fillets of beef mm. and age till, you know, they were all crusty and green on mm. the side. Yeah, and, yep. and this is in 1962. Um, mm. And so food... At its source was everything that the, we always, even when we were terribly broke, we would still mm. eat well. Can I explore a little bit more about this offal though? Because yes, yeah. I mean, today when I look at introducing, you know, such flavors into the kitchen, because we have livestock on our property and and we dispatch the animals and we go from start to finish. Um, yeah. But I. I can't for the life of me get my kids interested in that particular, you know, the off cuts of meat. They're so used to prime cuts of meat. Even a rabbit. The other day when we were up in Kingaroy where my mum and dad uh, grew up and are still now, a rabbit has a giant big back strap of, oh, I know. of meat. I know. <laughs> I and love it's such rabbit. a beautiful quality meat. Yeah. And yet, you know, it's it's like, oh, it's it's almost – it's not relevant to kids now. They're so definite about what value they see in the prime and broader cuts of meat. Yes, you've spoiled them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, see, I told you you were like my mum. <laughs> I've got my first bollocking from Maggie Beer and we're only, what, 10 minutes into the conversation. <laughs> oh, dear. You know, one of, one of the things, one of the things about um, secondary cuts, which I prefer, mind you, mm. um, Dad always had the, uh, insisted on the eye of the rump. That was mm. the only steak he would ever eat. But yeah. um, other than that, secondary cuts that were cooked long and slow, although mum used to cook them in the pressure cooker in those days, but then mm. it explode on the ceiling and that you know, wasn't so good. <laughs> but um, <laughs> secondary cuts, I would prefer to prime cuts any day, any day, mm. these days. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very hard to argue with someone that knows just about everything there is to know about food. But I mean, never. Meat, meat on bone is, is something that, you know, we see in other cultures. Um, you know, when you travel to places like India, for example, you'll, you'll have a goat curry, but it'll have bone involved. And yeah. it seems like our palates here um, in Australia have kind of moved away from that. And I think it is sad because those, those secondary cuts and cuts around the bone um, in the, particular have just so much flavour, so much depth well, of flavour. They're the sweetest, the sweetest and the most gelatinousy and and silky and beautiful always with the secondary cuts, um, and around the bone. I would, I, it's very rare that I would ever think to cook any meat or poultry, or rabbit. Oh, rabbit! Perhaps I take the back straps off as a mm. saddle, no, mm. not not singular. I cook them in the saddle, and then then whiz them off. But yes. Cooking on the bone is really essential. And when you think about it, people have that same thing about fish. Cooking a whole fish is so beautiful. And mm. and yet I hear people don't want to see the head and um, <laughs> uh, are worried about bones because they've never been taught how to mm. eat a fish just taking um, it off the bone so simply as, as you eat it because it's going to be better always. 
I'll join you in this. We'll have a crusade. Is there is there something that you find more fun to cook than anything else, or more? Maybe it's even a broader question. Is there a circumstance or a situation where food's involved, and, and you just go, "This this is what captures the essence of me as a person and personality." Well, wow, that's 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 pretty big. Um, uh, let me say that food. It, it's sometimes it's the simplest thing, but I'll take it to the food I love the most. Where I, I'm, I'm just seeing in my mind's eye. Um, mm. We were down the beach. Um, I was given a bucket of sea urchin. <laughs> really. And and uh, and whiting, and mm. so I I just and some razor fish. And I had I all I did was olive oil and lemon juice on the white mm. whiting and the razor fish, eating them both raw, and mm. sitting having cleaned the the um, sea urchin, which I'm really happy to do, eating the sea urchin and having a beautiful beautiful glass of wine, <laughs> and that's the essence of me, and yeah. and that's me not cooking, that's me making the most of what's. In nature, in season, and not buggering it up, you know, um, mm. it's just that's where the simple bit comes for me. But it could easily be to, and this is um, from my garden. It could be if it was summer, a beautiful tomato um, from the garden on mm. one of Colin's bruschettas and just mm. smashed into this uh, bruschetta with extra extra virgin olive oil on. Mm. And good salt and good pepper. You know, it's when all the simple things align. And can I say the pepper we we get, and this is from my business days to now, um, from Queensland, um, mm. Australian pepper, the flavour of it is like nothing else. And I would never use pepper that has been pre-ground. It's got to be ground and it's got to mm. be black and big. So that's the essence of me. It can be that simple. And it's going to be perfect and I'll be as happy as if I've cooked a squab, which I love too. But, you know, um, I get as much joy out of the tomato, perhaps not quite as much as a sea urchin, which is my favourite food in the whole world. <laughs> oh, fair dinkum. Yeah, fair Gee, dinkum. They, they just, <laughs> sea urchins for me, I've, I've tried to have a go at them and I just I must be oh. just messing them up because I... I, I stand on them down the front of my rocks and I, <laughs> every now and again they, the urchin gets in your foot and it hurts and then oh, you open you them see. up and they drizzle bad yellow. Karma, and I just, I bad just, karma, bad uh, <laughs> you reckon? No, yeah, my own fault. I'm happy to take that on the chin. Um, are you as comfortable in the business chair as what you are in the kitchen? I mean, you've run a very successful retail business and there also has to be a commercial sense that has to be put mm -hmm. into that as well, from sourcing the product to labelling, packaging, distributing are you are you happy in that environment as well as maggie beer businesswoman 
Well, it's an interesting question because um, we, we've sold the business uh, just uh, last April, um, the mm. whole of the business, but I will still always be connected to it in product development and ethos. Um, mm. And so am I comfortable? Yes, but um, I was very comfortable because I'm a very selfish person. I only ever developed... Um, a product that I loved and developed to my palate. I never looked at uh, all I ever did was use the produce that I had to hand to make the most of it from a flavour point of view mm. without any preservatives um, right from day one to use local. Um, so the, the philosophy was the same base as running the pheasant farm. And so you could almost say I was an accidental business person because I just believed in what I was doing and my skill in those early days was being able to scale up something I did in my kitchen to do in my export kitchen, mm. um, which would have to be done at 500 kilos rather than yeah, one yeah. kilo without yeah. losing quality and not taking any shortcuts that was my secret and it was only mm. from instinct. And so mm. the drive and the people, I, I mean, the, the team that still are there at Maggie Beer Products and the management team, all oh, women, did I say that? <laughs> I just whispered <laughs> that. Um, uh, are just extraordinary. Oh, sorry, there yeah. is one man. And, and Colin, my Colin has always... He, he believes in girl power, let me tell you. And he believed in me before I believed in myself. But mm. I was... What a beautiful remark to say about your yeah. husband 50 years. Yeah. And he makes mm. me laugh. <laughs> He's a bugger. <laughs> I'm really curious because uh, it's, it's an area where... It, it's like the... I, I suppose to simplify it, it's like the architect talking to the builder and you'll often get this conflict of interest. Um meaning that the architect will go, mate, it's on the paper, look at it. And the builder will say, yeah, but bud, we can't build that. Like what you're asking of us is not possible unless there's a new building technique and so round the, the, the grist it goes. And, and food, I'd imagine, you know, there's a great drive towards and I feel your energy and passion for it around connecting to local ingredients, you know, connecting to those suppliers of those people that are going to, you know, if you're going to get a fig, for example, well, there's a difference between when you pick the fig and when it actually comes oh, yes. to, to make your, your, your ice cream. Like it's, it's a passion the whole way. And I, like the Barossa, I've travelled there on numerous occasions. It's full of that, full of passion. But, you know, the thing is choosing the fig is a good thing to choose because the fig growers that we have, we've had the same growers for 30 years, right? And and so they've grown with us. Now, the fig growers mm. are all in the Riverland because, mm. you know, they're our neighbours and they're, they're – most everything of Maggie Beer products is South Australian. There are three or four things that we go further afield for. The pepper, for instance, we import the mm. juniper berries, etc. But the figs, if I had the fig grower picks every second day 
at the perfect ripeness and has to cut the figs and freeze them in 10 kilo lots because figs are too vulnerable. But this is because we have that relationship with the grower over years um, and they they just – Exactly like Colin used to grow the birds as I wanted them to cook them. They grow their figs and capture their figs at the right ripeness that I need, we need. I see I, it's not like I anymore, it's we (laughs) um, need to make the syrup, to make the ice cream. And so it is about detail. It is about detail of the things that matter. And it's a bit Mm. like the quinces. I mean, we have three quince orchards of our own, but we have growers, well, Maggie Mm. Beer Products, have growers all over the state because we need, you know, like hundreds of tonnes of quinces. But we we mill them all um, so we can have them as we need them through the year. I mean, this is detail. This is finding ways of making things happen that are going to be as perfect as they can be yeah. Oh, I, I get off on uh, – <laughs> I get a bit You're carried passionate. away. We, <laughs> I get we, a bit we, carried away. We, we get it. I mean, uh, that's why we love you, Maggie, because you're just <laughs> passionate and and it comes through in the products that, that, that are sitting in our supermarkets and yeah. are sitting in our, no, in, our, in our pantries. Yeah. 75 years young. It was a birthday feast. <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> I feel a little cheeky saying that, but that was in January. So congratulations. That's a huge milestone. Did you get a chance to have a bit of feet up? And oh. did you have a did you have a shindig? What happened? Tell me about well, it. Well, well, it was our fiftieth wedding anniversary, and my seventy fifth two days later in January. Oh, right. No. So we Beautiful. took all the family to Noosa. Um, right. We took two houses and. Um, mm. Uh, we, you know, split the 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 number of bedrooms into who mm. stays where, but yep. the main house was like super duper. Like I, I know my my twelve year old grandson Ben walked in and said, "Nana, can we have a house like this?" <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was like the the swimming pool came straight yeah. off the kitchen, and it was soaring ceilings. It was a party house. Yeah, and stunning. and not only did we take the family, but we took Tim Burke, who is our yeah. chef at the eatery and oh, and lovely. is part of the family and the most amazing chef. And just as, you know, a busman's holiday for him, he, he stayed um, down the road. But yeah. it was all about the food. And and so we had a cocktail party on the the evening of our anniversary and a long lunch two days later on birthday. But it was all about produce. That's why Tim wanted to come. (laughs) I mean, that's just a, that's the brief that every chef would surely want to get. What did he whip up? Well, it was. Fresh produce, Noosa as a location, Maggie Beer's 75th birthday. (laughs) I mean, if I had that brief, I'd be jumping out of my skin, Maggie. I'd do it for nothing. That's well, <laughs> well, and Tim did, but yeah, but but exactly. the, but what we did was was um, I called in lots of favors in terms of the people to get produce from because it had to be produce from 
around Noosa, so it's not my normal patch. And because I'm patron of um, uh, the Delicious Produce Awards, um, mm. it was pretty easy to do. But um, John Sussman... <laughs> pull some strings. Yeah, John Sussman, who's the most knowledgeable seafood person in Australia, Adelaide boy originally, uh, out of Sydney, made sure that um, uh, he sent up prawns and coral trout and sea urchins and uh, we had squid, we had... um, Oh, Oh, my gosh. Um, No, no, that's... uh, We had oysters... Um, we had the, the, these amazing growers that, because of the produce awards, that came with uh, Troy and Vicky. They came from further down south from Noosa and mm. with trays of tomatoes, heritage tomatoes that were all oh, yeah. so ripe and figs and lychees and yellow capsicums. Mm. I mean, mm. these were things I hadn't even asked for. I had padroni yeah. peppers. I had five kilo box of <laughs> padroni peppers. <laughs> yeah. We took Sassy's chicken up with us. We had caviar uh, <laughs> and potato <laughs> skins really? and sour creams. And the prawns were always raw. Um, yep. We had chicken hearts on skewers. We had, we had wagyu. We had oh papaya. We had uh, botago. That's right, botago grated. What, sorry, on, what's botago? What, I don't um, know. What it's that is. smoked smoked um, cod's row, um, okay. and you grate it. Oh my gosh, mm. it's just a sensation. Um, and, and so, um, and we had, you know, lots of local papaya and, Mm. um, uh, Christmas, isn't it? Like the the season in Christmas in Queensland. It was just, it was just truly, truly amazing. Um, Surely a mango was in there somewhere too. Mangoes. (laughs) Yes. Yellow fin tuna that we had sashimi. Um, If a mud crab wasn't in there, I'll be disappointed as well. No, there wasn't. There wasn't a mud crab. But there was a whole red emperor. I would have gone fishing (laughs) for you and would have got your mud crab. Oh well, we're we're blue swimmer crab people. You can have Which your are mud crab. Handy, I've got to say, <laughs> no, no. they're slim pickings compared to the mud crab, but they're pretty good. So once again, the food was really simple, but I just I pulled. Um, Tim and I really had no idea what the food was going to be, except for that the produce produce was all there, and Tim just made it extraordinary. And, and can you pick one out of that? Just for our listeners, I mean, maybe if I can turn your attention and I ask a loaded question because you, you've just picked easily my favourite of 10 great quality tasting fish. You've picked none other than the coral trout. That beautiful, yeah. I can see it with its pectoral fins just flapping under the the, the cover of a of a beautiful plate coral up on the barrier reef and it's yeah. just extraordinary. It's Pink and sometimes blue with with yeah. with um, pink spots, but often it's just pink with beautiful blue spots. How did Tim do that? Because it's well, just sensational. Simply as a baked whole fish, a baked whole fish, and he he had. I mean, this house had ovens galore. You wouldn't believe, but um, and he made some beautiful side dishes. Um, he crisped the skin um, by flashing it. It was just, 
when you have produce that's so perfect, you don't mm. need to do anything fancy with. But it was all um, – uh, that was for my birthday, actually. For the cocktail party, there was just one thing that came out after another, after another. Mm. Um, <laughs> and I have to say the potato skins and, and sour cream and proper caviar – uh, <laughs> and, and then the raw prawns and olive oil, you know. So you don't have to be fancy to to please me. <laughs> you oh, just need mate. you just need the best produce ever. <laughs> There's one question which I ask all my guests, and that's in and around their their last supper meal. But um, perhaps we turn it to a different direction and and just say, is there something that you would enjoy even if it was the last day if we ever knew that that day was ever coming that something that you'd enjoy that it just you know you put a smile on Colin's face and put a smile on your face as you said huru to the to the world that you would have as a as a something on your plate something that you could enjoy okay. is there one thing in particular or an occasion wow. or something that you could describe for us it's i'm i'm given that i've already told you my favorite food in life is mm. sea urchin. I'm going to mm. and sashimi of the freshest fish, uh, uh, or perhaps oh, a creme brulee. Um, but I'm oh, going yes. something that's so silky, or even a chow and mushy before the creme brulee. You know that silkiness, and mm. and I'm going to be very old, so I'm going to need something with great aroma and easy to digest but mm. it's got to be so I have to be surrounded by my family and music and and that will be what is special um, mm. music to me is as important as food and um, I get the most and it makes my heart it's just gets me in a way that I feel I'm very lucky so um that's it, and I just, yeah, that's me. Well, we're very lucky. We're very lucky to have such a special Australian, a generous soul and personality that shared not only your personal life, but we've consumed your passion just in a way that can truly identify with whom you are and, and the importance that you have. So, Maggie, thank you so much for joining us on Dishy. Thanks, Matt. Bye. What a remarkable woman who has done so much and given back so much along the way. If you want to hear about ways you can make a difference, check out the Little Green Pod podcast. It's all about the small steps we can take to help the planet without the guilt or judgment. Little Green Pod is on the ABC Listen app, or you can listen on your smart speaker or podcast apps like Apple and Google. Next time on Dishy, journalist and raconteur Ray Martin. Hear some of his stories from his life and career. Not all of them are that appetising. We got to that stage and, and they led up to what was the, the piece de resistance, which was we didn't know what it was, and they sort of came forward and they had this on a plate. And uh, and I said, and I'm, I've got a fairly good cast iron stomach, I thought, and I thought, no, that's fine, yeah, I'll try it. What is it? And they said, sheep's eyes. <laughs> I said, oh, you're kidding. And these weren't small sheep, these were big ewes, I suspect. <laughs> that's Ray Martin, next time on Dishy with me, Matthew Hayden.